everybody, and away we go with another edition of the Stampede Wrestling Show. Okay, if anyone out there can hear me, hello, this is Michael McCurdy. I am the normal host of ISW Radio, Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Central, and you are listening to Heartbeat Radio. We are currently experiencing some technical difficulties, so please hold on, and we will have this problem fixed as soon as possible so that you may enjoy tonight's episode. Thank you. We are currently still experiencing technical difficulties. We will be joining this episode as soon as possible. Thank you for holding. You are listening to Heartbeat Radio. Co-hosting tonight. And I'm going to ask if there's... Hi, is anybody on the phone here? Yes, you Hello. have a... 618 area code on right now. Yeah, 618. Okay, I will, great. I will put them through to you. Good. You hear promoter Bob Brooks from Chicago. Hi, Bob Brooks. Bob Johnson calling. I'm doing the co-hosting. I uh, Poor Patrick had a diabetic uh, attack about a half an hour oh, ago. I and, think uh, this is purely improvisation. It's, uh, so we, we're kind of doing this on an improvisation deal. I've never done this before, and my, uh, I'm trying to get the uh, blog talk radio, and it said it keeps, uh, I guess when you use a Canadian server, it doesn't seem to want to log in there. But anyway, we're going to try to have a really good show tonight with yourself and, uh, and your son and Trevor Blanchard and Bruce, and Bruce should be calling in. And uh, I'm going to just kind of let you guys talk away about the Chicago wrestling scene and some of the ideas, and maybe you and Bruce can uh, just keep uh, having a conversation uh, as usual. Sure, whenever, whenever you're ready to go, I'm, I'm ready to go and talk about the early days in Chicago wrestling. Yeah, I, I and you I could just... Uh, listening here. We are being joined by a 403 area code. That's Mr. Hart. Johnson, how are you? Hello, nice Mr. to hear Hart. your voice. How are you doing today, Bob? I've got, uh, I've got uh, Bob Brooks on uh, the other line, so I'm going to leave it with you two guys to talk about Chicago wrestling. So you can just uh, uh, continue. Bob. I just talked to Bob for a few minutes. He's on the other line. And I'm going to just okay. sit back and listen to you guys. Sounds good. Uh, I'll look forward to it. I'm uh, looking forward to being enlightened by Bob about the Chicago wrestling scene, past and present. So it should be fun. Hello, Bruce. This is Michael McCurdy. Oh, Mike, how are you? With Radio, yeah. I am acting as your de facto host tonight in your studio as best as I possibly can. So uh, I will be listening in on the episode. Yeah, I appreciate your... Lending yourself at the last 
minute. So. Yeah, I'm actually doing this while I'm at work, so I'm not able to participate in the discussion, but I will do my best to run the studio as I possibly can for the next hour. Okay, appreciate it. Is it, is it one hour or two? I can probably do about an hour. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're, oh, we're, we're going to work on that. that. I don't know what <laughs> you just kind of do what they tell me. So let's go one hour uh, discuss the Chicago okay. wrestling scene and uh, I'll, I'll uh, kind of uh, endeavor to get the ball rolling here. With uh, is it the Bob? Is, is, is Brent on there too, or just you, Bob? Uh, I'm not sure if Brent chimed in yet or if Trevor has uh, joined us. Yeah, I heard Trevor Blanchard would be. Uh, Coming on, and uh, 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 somebody told me uh, an old wrestling uh, guy from the uh, AWA in the uh, Vern Gagne days, a guy named Marvanger, might be joining us. But I okay, well, I, uh, I'll tell you what, we'll, uh, we, we can take it away with uh, going back to the uh, the real early days uh, of professional. Yeah, how far do you go back? You know, I. I uh, well, I can I know, uh, we can go back. Uh, matter of fact, uh, one of my guests when I was hosting uh, Classic Professional Wrestling uh, was Walter Palmer's daughter, Gail. And Walter Palmer was actually an NWA uh, champion. He lived in Des Plaines, Illinois, just uh, oh, yeah, way uh, back to the in northwest the, uh, of Chicago. The early days of the uh, you know, late 40s, early 50s, if I'm not mistaken. The, yes, sir. That's, that's right. I, and, uh, you know, he, Carl Langstrom... And early was he uh, Fred Kohler's guy, or was uh, was Freddie Kohler around that time? And it was, you know, Fred Kohler, of course, uh, and uh, uh, Schwartz. Uh, they were they were the uh, promoters back in the day. Of course, Fred Kohler, one of the all time great, you know, promoters. Uh, you know, oh yeah, not one of the highest guy. Fans, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah, he was kind of very prominent in the Marigold Arena in the uh, early days of television, and uh, right. And, kind of uh, a real you know, pioneer. Bruce, uh, of, yeah, and speaking of that, Bruce, I wanted to bring up. Uh, let's let's start off with, it with, if you don't mind, let's let's go back to 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 the arenas uh, where where this all started. Okay, uh, you know, some of the people when they say, well, the early days in Chicago, they think of, well, maybe let's see, what was before the amphitheater? Well, maybe the Marigold Arena, but there was actually more than that. There was the Rainbow Arena. There was also. I heard the of the Rainbow. Ball. You know, that was. Uh... Hmm? It's funny, you know, way, I've even gone way the hell back, but when I was in England in the 70s, I was staying with this uh, family called the Rowiscos, and they were the uh, they were the guys who kind of launched this whole the Russian lion, George Hackenschmidt, back in uh, the late, it was about 1908, somewhere in that era, but Hackenschmidt and Frank Gosch had that, that was the first hundred thousand dollar gate in wrestling history, and uh, at that time was the new Chicago uh, Comiskey Stadium where the White Sox played. And, um, right. That was the first uh, hundred thousand dollar gate in wrestling history. It was in Chicago with Gotch and uh, Frank Gotch and George's Hackenschmidt. Right. So it, it, it had quite a storied history. You know, my dad used to tell me about some of the guys who were kind of legendary, including old Bronco Nagurski, who was um, playing for the Chicago Bears at that time and was kind of one of the uh, the biggest stars in the NFL at that time. And he, he, 
know, was uh, moonlighting or wrestling in the off season. He was an NWA or uh, hailed as a world champion back in the uh, 30s, you know, and and then I think they had quite a few, you know, pretty prominent guys in the Chicago, uh, Bobby Manikoffs and some of those. Uh, sure, right. Exactly. Cat and some of those guys. And my dad knew most of those guys and was, I remember listening kind of, eagerly when my dad would be talking to Luthez and some of those guys and they would be uh, talking very kind of, you know, nostalgically about Bronco Nagurski and Bobby Manigoff and uh, Strangle Lewis and Joe Stecker and uh, Frank uh, Stan Stan Zabisco and those guys. And Chicago was kind of uh, as prominent... uh, a center back in those days is uh, even New York or some of those other places because a lot of those guys were kind of Midwest guys, you know, and Speckers and uh, Zabiscos and uh, Charlie Cutler and uh, old, uh, uh, what's his face, Strangler Lewis and all that. They were all more Midwest guys than they were uh, New York type guys. I think Londos was one of the first kind of East Coast guys out of Philly or whatever, but it was, it was, you know, uh, for some of the listeners out there, I don't think they maybe maybe even realized how big Chicago was back in the day as a very uh, prominent, uh, you know, uh, cornerstone of the wrestling industry. And then I, my dad used to tell me about Freddie Kohler was a a pretty uh, you know, outstanding promoter back in the late 40s, early 50s, one of the real first practitioners of television from what he told me. Well, you know, Bruce, you're you're right on the money with that, but you know what? We've got that gap, so let's let's fill in that gap for just a minute. When you go from the Hackenschmidt days uh, up until Fred Kohler, Okay, uh, which was pretty much, you know, you had your World War I days, uh, you know, the Depression. Oh, yeah, going remember, from pre-World yeah, War II you know, World War II. Right, you had the, you know, people were riding streetcars, and, uh, you know, uh, they still had, uh, you know, the Depression going on. And Alpha so Palmer. wrestling took a big hit, right. So wrestling took a big, you know, a real hard hit. Now, what, what came along after the 30s and, of course, World War II, Okay, we had a brief period there where, you know, the Gorgeous George days uh, came about. Now, yes, Gorgeous George, oh, yeah. sort of as the, far as uh, most the, people would say, you know, save professional wrestling. But what he had as an ally, okay, in Chicago was the Dumont Network on television. And that's yeah. where Fred, when Fred Kohler came about, you know, he had over 65 stations that he could use. And so what happened was, you know, like you were just saying where they brought in Londis and guys like that, they were able to use guys from the East Coast and other locations um, and bring in names. And, of course, a little bit later on uh, when, you know, the the, uh, gorgeous George, you know, was kind of tapering off in about 1960, now you started seeing, you know, more of the Johnny Valentine and you saw, uh, you know, Buddy Rogers, right, out of Camden, New Jersey. So, you know, these were places that, that you just didn't, right, and you just didn't see that here in Chicago. So we saw a new, some new faces on television, uh, which was, you know, covering, you know, professional wrestling. And 
behind the mics. You had guys like Jack Brickhouse. He was not just, you know, the oh, yeah, he the, was, the, uh, you know, the Cubs baseball, great announcer. Uh, right, legendary, you know, announcer, you know, and, and uh, hey, hey, and all that. But, you know, he announced, you know, professional wrestling. So, he again, was uh, Kohler's announcer, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and, and you know, because Kohler had the market. You know, he was... He was, you know, with the NWA, and I just want everybody to realize, because like you say, there's some younger people that, when when I say NWA, they're thinking, you know, uh, the Atlanta market and all that. This was the National Wrestling Alliance out of Chicago, uh, which ran from about 48 to 63 or so. And um, so, uh, and Leonard Schwartz was another guy that was kind of involved in there, too, uh, in opposition to, to Fred Kohler. But Fred Kohler, uh, like I say, and uh, Walter Gates, uh, or, or Walter Palmer, I'm sorry, Walter Palmer uh, was, you know, I mean, those guys were tight. They, you know, he took care of his champions, um, and they were going to all these, you know, great arenas with some big gates. But again, it, a lot of it had to do with television, um, and uh, you know, guys like Carl Engstrom out of Oak Park, Illinois, who was a local favorite. So uh, you know, then we and we had the Crusher coming in, and then Dick the Bruiser. Well, you know, and and again, a lot of people, the younger people, may not realize, but Dick the Bruiser was not. You know, always uh, you know the famous good guy, Dick the Bruiser, was a heel. Uh, he for a long with, time. Uh, you know, right? Remember, he teamed up with Hans Schmidt, and uh, you know, oh, yeah, great and match. Buddy Rogers and, was in there, and yeah, uh, um, yeah. I remember there's quite a few prominent guys that some of the some of your fans might remember some of them. The uh, like the Hans Schmidt, who was actually a Canadian, uh, mm-hmm. but. Um, uh, what's his face? Old um, Wilbur Snyder was in there, I believe, and Bo- Wilbur Bobo right. Brazil and Bearcat Wright, and um, yeah, quite a few of those guys. I remember my dad used to always allude to the, uh, you know, the guys who were uh, kind of headlining, and then there was, oddly enough, a lot of people probably didn't know, but I, my dad told me there was a fair bit of acrimony. Back in the fifties, on on and off with uh, Kohler and Sam Muchnick, who was out of St. Louis, but there was a f- fair bit of stuff going on. And at one point, Eddie Quinn tried to come in and run opposition, and there was Kohler was uh, all kinds of stuff going on between. Even though they're NWA members, uh, my dad told me there was a fair bit of. Uh, Conflict with Kohler and Nutschnick and Kohler and Eddie Quinn and uh, and I guess Tootsmont was part of some of that stuff and right and they had their good days and bad days and if they if they can make a buck oh you know hey today you're my friend tomorrow you know hey well maybe not you know yeah I remember hearing all the uh, uh, stories from my dad you know and there was a lot of. Uh, uh, what they referred to as running opposition to each other kind of stuff with with uh, some of that with uh, Muchnick and Eddie Quinn at one point, you know, kind of collaborating against Kohler, I heard, and then Kohler was in in bed with uh, Bruiser and Crusher and Wilbur Snyder and some of those guys. And yeah, in about five or so, you know, Kohler finally realized that, you know, hey, it maybe time's up, you know. And um, so, you know, Dick the Bruiser, Wilbur Snyder had uh, been, you know, toying with the idea of doing something different. Uh, was Johnny and, Doyle you know, part of that? Or was, uh, I remember hearing the names because I was a bit young then, but I remember my dad had an old, he was a bit of an old, 
kind of half crook tune in Sam Meneker, but he was sort Sam of Meneker, yeah. Sam, yeah, yeah. And he yep, was Sam, uh, Sam involved with in uh, Jim Barnett and uh, right. Johnny Doyle and uh, and that bunch in Indianapolis. And there was, you know, stuff going on with Kohler. And I remember hearing somebody, uh, never knew what all the uh, players, what their parts were. You know, people like Bearcat Wright and... Um, and uh, Hans Schmidt, I think he had a little before that, but Yukon Eric and Buddy Rogers, and uh, and I think Jack Brickhouse was maybe out of it by that time. He had been the commentator for the Cubs, I believe, or he's a baseball commentator as well, more better known for his football and baseball than wrestling, but he was sort of like a Ben Scully of that era, you know, so there was quite a few interesting uh, players, you know, that were major uh, people in the uh, wrestling landscape, I mean, like the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they they had a big title switch, NWA title in 61 with Rogers and O'Connor or something like that, which is pretty big, uh, big deal, and I, I, I I thought that may have been at Comiskey Park too. I can't remember. Yeah, Comiskey Park in '61, right? And, and that uh, was kind of uh, in those days, I was you know uh, modern fans don't you know in those days it was a big deal when the title the NWA title title switched. It it only switched maybe every three or four years. You know, it was sort of a a big deal back in those days. So uh, it was kind of like a, a feather in the cap of whatever city or promotion if they switched it in Chicago or whatever, you know, you know, and, but yeah, I remember that was sort of like a, a pretty big event, you know, back in the day with Rogers and O'Connor and then I think O'Connor, I mean, Rogers later on, I guess, uh, after he dropped the belt uh, back to Lou or whatever, he, uh, Sort of jump ship to the uh, WWWF, Vince McMahon Sr., and you know, sort of involved in the uh, you know, the uh, WWWF belt being supposedly dropped to Bruno or some such thing, you know. But those are all sort of interesting little uh, sidebars with the uh, the wrestling of that era, you know, it kind of actually had a fair bit to do with uh, what's even happened today with the uh, evolution of the WWF and all like that, you know. But, but I would, I'd like to hear some stuff from Brent on, or B- Bob Brooks, I mean, uh, relative to that, you know. If, uh, I heard a lot about that, but I, uh, I, you know, I'd like to hear some of the inside stuff and some of the uh, stuff and how I'll tell you, you know, you, you, you hit on some really, really valid points here because what, what we saw after that, as you brought us kind of up to date there through the early 60s, um, you kind of saw a change not only in the announcers, the promoters, because now you had as a front TV front man, Bob Luce coming into play. You had yeah. Sam Meneker doing the play-by-play. But you had a change of fans as well. Uh, but one thing about Chicago, okay, uh, as much as they like uh, their their champions being um, scientific wrestlers, if you will, if you notice 
Most of the time, anybody that's held a belt for any length of time, they, they were still of a scientific nature, even though Buddy Rogers could rough it up and so forth. Uh, he was a, you know, to me, he was a scientific wrestler. But the fans were changing, and they started accepting in guys like Dick the Bruiser again. Uh, only this time, he was a fan favorite in Chicago. He was the blue-collar worker. And that's what you started seeing. You started seeing the Dick the Bruiser, the Crusher. Uh, instead of Bearcat right now, you saw Sailor Art Thomas. Uh, Bobolinski, the wrestling truck driver. Oh, yeah, you know, so you Shields, saw yeah. different names. You know, and then you had that post-war era still going on. So instead of, you know, just the Russians, I mean, like Ivan Koloff made some appearances from time to time. You had Mitsu Arakawa and Higo Hamaguchi. Uh, so you still had that Japanese uh, post-war era wrestling going on, you know, that was still, you know, they were still bitterly hated by the by the fans, you know. And... Um, you know, the, the, the houses were, were being packed again. Wrestling was coming back to life. And uh, I don't know how uh, Trevor or any of the other guys will feel, but like I said, to me, it was because of guys like Dick the Bruiser, the Crusher, the Blackjacks, uh, later on yeah. the Valiant Brothers, managers like Bobby Heenan. Uh, we had uh, Mark Manson, who managed the graduates, you know, Angelo Poffo and Kenny Dillinger. Um, so we had, I think it was, it was so much, if, if, if I can call it this, a team effort. You had the fans that were ready, the, the announcers, the promoters, the television which was ready, uh, the wrestlers were, were in place. Um, of course, then in, in, in 73, 74, uh, 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 the movie, the, the original movie, The Wrestler, came out with Ed Asner and uh, Elaine Giftis in there. And that was one of the first times that the fans... Uh, really got to see some behind-the-scenes professional wrestling, what a locker room really, you know, was supposed to look like, okay, and yeah. what the wrestling office was and how it operated. So it gave, it, you know, even though it wasn't, you know, let's, let, let's, you know, I'll be realistic. I mean, it's not the highest dollar movie in town, but the point is still got its point across, you know, um, that, oh, yeah. that it educated the fans. Uh, a little bit, and they got to see some of their stars outside of the ring itself and learn about, you know, Billy Robinson and Nick Bockwinkle uh, being over at the uh, boys' club, uh, you know, putting on some, some exhibitions over there. So you had this time period of change, and it was needed. And in Chicago, Bob Luce was so far ahead of time, uh, his time, he he was just uh, uh, what was, what Chicago needed. He got people so hyped up. He was he was so unbelievable that he was believable. You know, you wanted to bring him into your living room every every weekend and tell you about Ben's Auto Sales at fifty eight fifty eight Southwestern Avenue. Uh, you know, Southland Motors at sixty fifty Southwestern Avenue. Uh, you know, Bobby Heenan would come on there and tell you, don't buy your car there because Dick the Bruiser, Wilbur Snyder, and Moose Cholak buy their cars there. So, of course, you know, reverse psychology, you're going to go out and buy your car there because these guys, you know, Bobby Heenan's telling you not to. So, uh, you know, so there was, yeah, it was just, you know, some Chicago land favorites, you know, uh, a great commercial that you could see on YouTube even with uh, Yukon Moose Cholak um, and, uh, you know, uh, Bob uh, Bob Luce on there uh, at Al's Roast Beef, you know, uh, Chicago landmark. So, you know, there was a lot of things coming to, into play, and um, it was it was right on time. You know, it was a great time period here in Chicago um, for for professional wrestling. So, when did uh, Bruce, when did Chicago, when did Chicago in, uh, kind of uh, hmm? when did the Chicago deviator leave the NWA like? 
was it with is that due to Fred Kohler or due to the rise of Bob Luce and Byrne or yeah, like, uh, because then they got Bruiser was WWA, and then uh, then then that's when the uh, the American Wrestling Association came into play, um, you know, with uh, Bruiser, Gagne, and Snyder. Did, and did, Vern, um, did Vern? How did Vern come to uh, kind of uh, take over or uh, kind of assume the promotion? And like I know he originally, you know, got the Minneapolis office from. Uh, after Tony Steckert passed away and all like that, but I never knew uh, that you know uh, what you know. You might fill me in on what the uh, kind of how AWA sort of uh, took over uh, places like uh, Chicago, and then I understood that they were involved in Indianapolis. There, there was some. Crossover, right, well, John, right? And also out of Milwaukee, you had Dennis Hilgart. Uh, you had uh, uh, the Dakotas. You had uh, you know uh, Winnipeg, Winnipeg, of course. You know, you know right, right. And uh, so you know Vern Gagne. Uh, you know the thing was, let, let me tell you this. You wanted some some behind the scenes here. Vern Gagne did not get along well with Bob Luce. Okay, uh, there were some instances where you know Vern Gagne had. Uh, Bob Luce just about in tears uh, over issues and things he didn't like. But it's the point was, Bob Luce was going nowhere, Bruce. Uh, you know, that was Dick the Bruiser's buddy, okay? And uh, yeah. Dick the Bruiser protected Bob Luce. Um, now, Vern, okay, was still, you know, he brought in his boys out of, out of Minneapolis. Um, so this was where the sharing really came into play. Dick brought in guys out of WWA, which was seen here in Chicago, you had okay. We had the WWA with uh, uh, Dick's group on okay uh, on Channel 26, then uh, and, and on Channel 44. But we also had uh, the Lucha Libre group okay uh, coming in out of California, where we had a young Roddy Piper on there uh, coming out of the Olympic Auditorium. Uh, but then we would get the AWA out of Minneapolis. Now, one thing that you, you, if you pay attention to any of the, the videotapes uh, that you still find, okay, you will notice when, when it's something from Chicago, if it's a videotape in Chicago, they'll say Dick the Bruiser and the Crusher. But when you listen, even in the movie The Wrestler, which was, you know, based out of Minneapolis, they'll say, yeah, the Crusher and the Bruiser. So you see they always put over Crusher. Uh, because that was their, you know, their their boy up there. So yeah. uh, you kind of had that, you know, the, you know, there was still, even though they were, it was a team effort, uh, you still had, you know, my my guys, your guys, kind of thing, you know. Um, that was just, you know, uh, and and you never saw later on. You didn't see the Dick the Bruiser versus Vern Gagne. That just didn't happen. You saw. Vern Gagne versus Billy Robinson at the amphitheater. Vern Gagne versus Nick Bockwinkel. Um, even Vern Gagne versus Baron Von Raschke. So uh, you just didn't, you know, you, you weren't going to see the, the big guys. Now in 1974 at Kaminsky Park, okay, uh, you started to get that, they, they made that little bit of a shift there. They brought in the Sheik. So you had uh, Dick the Bruiser and Boba Brazil against the Sheik and Bobby Heenan. But uh, the, the fans, if I had to say that there was one time in Chicago that they were very disappointed as fans, that was one of them because uh, the Sheik 
just avoided getting in the ring altogether. And um, it yeah, was he was just, almost you know, a contradiction to the style of Minneapolis, the Sheik. You know, he was, right. you know, blood and uh, gimmick matches and right. he was uh, almost the antithesis. And, right. Yeah, Vern and them, actually, their style was pretty... A pretty good style, a wrestling style primarily, you know, with Billy Robinson and Vern and you know, they weren't that much of a gimmick and the Sheik was kind of the antithesis of that. He was uh bloodbaths and all the other you know, extremism right. and that kind of stuff. So they were kinda of like a a mismatch, but what what was the uh I never quite there was quite a pronounced kind of division between the NWA and the AWA back in those days, I recall. And uh, what, what was the, uh, aside from just money, was, what, was, what was the uh, kind of background to that? You know, uh, why Byrne and uh, Muchnick and company uh, seem to be so uh, opposed to each other? Well, you Hello, know, first, uh, like I said, some days I'm they sorry, were... Excuse oh, me. I'm sorry, go ahead. Excuse me. I hate to interrupt. Michael McCurdy here again. We have a 618-409 number joining us. Anybody know what that number sounds familiar? Uh, 618-409. I'll put them on the line. Sure. Six one eight four zero nine. you're on the air. How are you doing? This is the BBM Ballistic Brett Myers out of Chicago, Illinois. Oh, Brent, how are you? All right, Bruce. How are you doing this evening? Not bad. What's shaking? <laughs> well, doing a little traveling on and off. I uh, just recently worked a show in Chicagoland area for Anarchy Pro Wrestling in the uh, main event. And uh be doing some stuff again in uh, the Las Vegas area and Missouri area soon. But uh, other than that, not too much. <laughs> Well, that's cool. You've been uh, uh, listening to our trip down memory lane on the old. I've uh, just been discussing the uh, history in Chicago. You know, back uh, back in the uh, Vern and uh, Bob Luce days in the '60s and early '70s, I guess. Absolutely, and I, I got the. Uh uh, notebook pad out here, so to speak, uh, and uh, ready to learn something there. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm sort of a, a fan or a historian to speak of, but I, I'm sort of getting some names, you know, add a little, you know, give me a better perspective of some of this stuff with names like Bob Luce and, uh, and some of them, you know, it's... Uh, Kind of an interesting period there, because sure. back in the day the uh, NWA was pretty prominent in uh, Chicago, you know, and they had Rogers and O'Connor and all like that, and the title belt switch in '61, and then at some point it seemed to uh, completely disappear from the NWA, you know, and uh, became uh, strictly an AWA uh, town. And um, I never quite knew why, you know, other than that Vern seemed to be, uh, and, and Vern got pretty strong in that era too, I guess, you know. But uh, 
Right. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting uh, period because uh, that had been uh, a huge NWA stronghold uh, up till the 60s, and then you know uh, that whole area, and it was kind of a strange period with uh, a bunch of those Midwest towns like Milwaukee and Minnesota and Chicago and even Denver and Indianapolis. Sure. Well, you know, Palmer weeks. was actually the president too there. Uh, Bruce, uh, he was the president, you know, of, of the uh, NWA until uh, about 62. So that's why I say you started seeing that dissolution yeah, my, right there. You know. My dad, my dad uh, uh, he was an NWA member from back in 51 or something like that. But I, I was pretty young then. But, but my dad told me there's quite a bit of acrimony between Fred Kohler and... Uh, and uh, Sam Muchnick that was you know I don't know what exactly was the uh, area of their conflict but uh, there was quite a bit of that and I don't know that for Kohler I think he ended up uh, getting out of the business maybe 65 or so and maybe died in 68-69 or so but yeah I never knew quite all I was always kind of intrigued with all the uh, you know quite a quite a bit of, uh, you know, kind of conflict and whatever, you know, in, the, in Chicago and all those areas. Uh, I, I never quite knew all the uh, backgrounds, all that, you know. I know Byrne had a good run with it in, in the 70s, I guess, for a stretch, and then Vince has sort of, uh, you know, kind of taken it over since you know, his uh, takeover in the late 80s there, you know. But. Right. Well, you know, Sam Munchnick, you mentioned Sam. Sam, of course, had wrestling at the chase, and, uh, you know, that NWA kind of just went with him. He was known as the honest promoter. And uh, Sam Munchnick, you know, he he was just, you know, a straight-up, you know, kind of guy. And I think that's you had conflict between Kohler's way of operation, too, and, and, and uh, Sam Munchnick. Um, Kansas City was always kind of like uh, I always felt was on their own, you know. Yeah, the Kansas City office, which was a very strong office, um, and uh, you know, course, and, yeah, and you know, um, and and just quickly, I I, I don't want to overlook these guys uh, just to the south of us, but there was you know, of course, Central States Wrestling, uh, where you had the the interns and the medics and guys like that, but. Um, you know, uh, uh, Bruce, going back to, to 72, Blackjack Mulligan and I were, were talking uh, not, not that long ago uh, about uh, September 1, 1972, the Soldier's Field uh, cage match, which was just, I mean, what, what, a, what a card that was. You had Dick the Bruiser and a Crusher in the cage, in the steel cage, with uh, the Blackjacks and Bobby Heenan, and the referee was uh, heavyweight boxing champion, Jersey Joe Walcott, and you know, uh, Black Jack Mulligan tells a, a, a great story about that. Uh, I guess when uh, Heenan was in the ring and, and <laughs> he came in a couple of times or whatever, you know, and and Walcott said, "Boy, if I got to tell you again, and that I'm only going to tell you one way, and you're going to go down, and when I mean you're going down, you're going down. Now get out of here." And, and I, you know, of course, Heenan's going to come back and do his thing. And when he got back, you know, 
Joe hit him, and I mean he clocked him. Bob told me he said he he clocked him and he went down, and Bobby just was seeing stars. He was just you know he said all I did was see his eyes roll back, and Lance and I had to try and get him <laughs> and drag him out of the ring, you know. And, I heard, uh, I heard you know, a similar story. Not to digress with Jersey Joe and Bearcat, you may have heard that one where they had some bogus, you know, as a a work match with. Jersey Joe and Bearcat, and uh, I guess Bearcat uh, started getting cute with Walcott, and uh, and Walcott uh, knocked him out cold. And uh, <laughs> but, yeah, but uh, yeah, I remember hearing uh, Jersey Joe was a pretty decent guy. I had met him a few times. He was up here, and pretty, pretty he was like one of the boys, old Jersey Joe. So. He he must have been getting on by that by that time of seventy two. He's probably sixty or so at that time. But. Yeah, and they were trying to you know yeah, throw him a bone there. You know, keep him keep him uh, you know uh, you know out the yeah, uh, and give him a little cash. You know, so that, that's a hell of a card if you know Soldier Field's like a hundred thousand seats. So that's, that's well, a, you know, well, I don't know. That, I doubt if they filled it, but uh, still. Uh, yeah, but Bruce, you know what? I'll I tell you what Bob uh, Wyndham said. He, he said, you know, he said, as a bloody and rough and tough match as that was, he said, do you know what I remember the most out of that match? I said, I said, what? He said, because they were working on Soldier's Field and the wind was coming off the lake. He's, you know, and this was in the evening, and he said, it was so cold in that ring. He said, oh, my God, he said, I never felt such cold air in my life as I did when I was wrestling out there. He said, oh, it was cold. He said, you could have it. But, uh, yeah, so that was that was uh, Blackjack Mulligan's uh, uh, <laughs> memory of that, that great match. But, uh, yeah. Well, that's... But, But yeah, we had some some great, uh, like I say, great venues in Chicago, and uh, you know, one of them I, I mentioned earlier on, I just wanted to uh, touch on. There was uh, the Parakai Ballroom, Bruce. It was uh, where right now what people would know as the uh, uh, Eisenhower Expressway uh, at Harlem Avenue. It was actually Harrison in Harlem, and uh, that was a uh, uh, up on the second floor, and uh, just just a great venue to remember. You know, since we're going down memory lane here, and uh, Remembering some of the some of the greats uh, and, and some of the great venues, like I said, that we that we had during that time period. But uh, you know, we had a state commission, and uh, Greg Gagne and I uh, talked about this last year on my show, and uh, we had a, a little difference of opinion, Bruce. Okay, uh, no surprise here, but uh, I when I promoted in Chicago, okay, uh, and, I, and and I think you and I we were talking about this on, a, on an earlier show. Uh, you know, yeah. we had to be licensed in the state of Illinois, and uh, of course, you know, we had a state commission, and the commission provided our referees, our timekeepers, and uh, I gotta, I gotta give Joe Moriello his, his due. Uh, I hope Joe's listening in out there tonight. Uh, but uh, Joe, of course, great timekeeper here in Chicago, uh, and um, you know, we had licensed personnel and it was to me it was like one-stop shopping you know yes they came in got their tax money but they also provided top-notch referees that were uh that were on the job you know um you know they were i mean just just to give you an example okay and 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 bruce you probably remember some of these names here but uh percy franklin uh mike figueroa 
Henry Van Loon, Stan Sarbernack, uh, just just to name name a few of the great referees yeah. here, uh, you know, in Chicago. Uh, and 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 here's I know you love love these stories, so I'm going to give you give you a, a brief one here. Uh, I think I might have mentioned it to you before, but uh, for those listeners that are maybe just joining us, uh, Paul Christie was in a match, and Mike Figueroa was the uh, referee. And I, I don't remember the opponent, but uh, Chris picked up his opponent and put him up on top of the top turnbuckle. And uh, Mike told him to break the hold and, and, you know, put him down. And I guess Chris kind of grabbed the, uh, at, at his collar, at, at Mike's collar. And, oh, that was, I mean, that was, that was like a bozo no-no. When he got back in that locker room, you know, you got to remember, Mike Figueroa is about five, about five foot six, okay? And here's here's Paul Christie in the in the back with them, and Chris said, "This little man walked up to me, and put his finger in my nose, and at, and said, if you ever put your hands on me or another referee again, he said, you will never step inside a ring in the state of Illinois.' He said, do you understand me? And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, just kind of, you know." Things got, you know, heated and, you know. So after that, they became, of course, best of friends for many, many years. <laughs> but uh, but Chris always respected them. The thing that people did not know in Chicago, so here we go, here, here's, here's their tidbit. Uh, Mike Figueroa was actually a professional wrestler back in the day. Back in, in you know, I want to say back in, I guess, like around the 40s or 50s, uh, he was actually a, a professional wrestler. And um, so uh, Mike, of course, you know, uh, not the fastest man in the ring, as some of the fans will will tell you. <laughs> okay, he may not he may not have caught everything and turned it around as quickly as as people would uh, uh, have liked, you know. But uh, yeah, but so we had some of the great uh, great referees in, in in Chicago, and and like I said, we also had the the wrestling hall, pro wrestling hall of fame uh, in, at the amphitheater, where you could go in there on the night of wrestling. You could go over to the Stockyard Inn, which was the restaurant, uh, a steakhouse connected to the amphitheater, and uh, meet some of your great uh, wrestling stars. Moose Cholak was up there, Paul Christie, Pepper Gomez, Wilbur Snyder. Uh, I think even Jimmy Valiant uh, uh, has been up in there. And uh, you could go up there and have a, have a nice dinner for about $7. Uh, you could buy, uh, you'd get your ticket. You could get a whole package. So you could go eat dinner, go to the Hall of Fame, and then have a, uh, a ringside seat, um, and uh, all for a real reasonable, you know, price. And Bruce, if you're ready for this, get your Dick the Bruiser pin. If you don't already have one, you could have. You, well, you're out of luck. But I'll tell you what, they they had all that. And uh, the Hall of Fame, they would show on the old uh, two reelers. Uh, on, a, on a wall, <laughs> you know, and you you could watch the the cage match at Soldiers Field and and uh, some of the great matches in, in Chicago, and they had eight by tens and and all the uh, programs up all throughout the, uh, the the different rooms in there, which was the Hall of Fame in Chicago. Uh, so it was uh, some classic memories there at Forty Second and Halstead Street, which was of course in the in the uh, middle of the Stockyards District. So it. It also smelled like you were in the middle of stockyard. Stock I can imagine, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. But uh, Bruce, did you get a chance to, uh, to to work some of the Chicago uh, uh, venues? Uh, uh, you know, oddly uh, enough, you know, I uh, I worked the United Center, the first big oh. show they ever had there at SummerSlam in uh, early '90s. 
was. Uh, How did uh, you Brett, feel about the, Brett, the I think Brett was having a match to... with uh, Owen or something like that, and they had it was a cage match, and they had a, it was kind of a cockeyed finish or something. They had uh, Hart brothers interfering and all that other. But I I remember that uh, they had my dad and my mother and bunch of other, yeah, but I remember doing that, it was kind of interesting, and then I think we did something at the Rosemont Horizon or whatever that uh, would have been WrestleMania 2 when they had that, the WrestleMania in three different venues, like LA, Chicago, and New York, and they had the, uh, they, that was when the Bears had just won the, uh, the Super Bowl, so they had the refrigerator and Jimbo Covert and, uh, Perry, yeah. Uh, I think Steve McMichael, Mongo McMichael was in there, mm-hmm. and old uh, Bill Freelich. And I, I don't know what to, you know. There was a battle royal or something like that. And I think Brett and Day, uh, Brett and Nightheart were in there, and um, um, Andre, of course, wanted or something. But I, I remember that was sort of some of my uh, involvement with uh, Chicago wrestling. That was more like in the uh, post. WWE era, but I used to always have uh, a sort of fascinated, I was sort of a wrestling, uh, you know, I was always fascinated by the wrestling history and uh, seemed to be quite a bit of it uh, emanating from Chicago, you know, as far back as we were talking about before from the Gosh and Hackenschmidt and then the, uh, you know, the Kohler and the uh, uh, O'Connor, Buddy Rogers stuff and, uh, Later yeah, on, you know, you mentioned battle royals there too. You know, uh, Bruce, uh, they had uh, a two-ring battle royal. Uh, it was one of the first, you know, a first, you know, in, in Chicago. And uh, you know, Chris Taylor, and, and uh, you know, you guys like superstar Billy Graham. Uh, oh yeah. Speaking yeah. of that, uh, I mean, some of the great matches with superstar Billy Graham and Wahoo McDaniels, uh, which ended uh, usually in the, you know, uh, in a strap match. Uh, but uh, those were were very big in Chicago. And again, referring back to the movie The Wrestler, uh, you'll you know you you can see uh, yeah, I remember that a little bit of behind the scenes there. Yeah. Sam Menneker was who was my dad's commentator uh, before and then later on after. Yeah, he was in that movie playing a villain or something with Ed Asner and uh, all like that. Funny, I, I can't say I've ever seen the movie. I saw a few stills and a few with. You know, uh, I don't know whether it's a good movie or not, but I remember uh, just hearing about it. You know, I don't know whether never seemed to ever get into the theaters up here. I don't know whether it got into the theaters anywhere else or or whether it's even on DVD or anything, you know. But uh, well, I was talk- when I was talking to Greg Gagne, they, they were uh, last January uh, in Minneapolis. They had a, a five-day viewing of the, the original movie, The Wrestler, and... Uh, Greg actually brought Vern over there from the nursing home, uh, brought him over there for one night for, uh, to, to meet people, and uh, he was he was actually there uh, for the uh, for the opening. And uh, well, I'm glad to hear it. I might yeah, not digress, but how is Vern? He's uh, well, told got a, Alzheimer's. Or... Yeah, you know the last he had told me he was he was he was doing somewhat better. Now I haven't talked to Greg um, lately, so. I don't, I don't I think want to the last I heard way. was that unfortunate yeah. incident with Vern and the uh, Nobel Prize winning guy who got suplexed or something. Yeah, <laughs> no, 
<laughs> on, on the floor. Yeah, that didn't yeah. go over well. Was, but, but yeah, but after that though, he did uh, he, he he did get somewhat uh, like I say, you know, uh, progress uh, uh, better, and you know, we, we of course, you know, uh, our prayers, uh, you know, go out for him, and we hope uh, yeah hope for the best, I, but, uh, you know. Yeah, and how, how was Greg doing? By the way, uh, I always thought he was a pretty decent guy, Greg. I, uh, you know, uh, shared a lot of empathy for him being a promoter's kid, and you know, it's not easy you know, all the time, you know. But uh, right, he seemed yeah, like I a mean, pretty good guy, Greg. Him. I thought, you know, it never seemed like he was too uh, yeah. over the top or full of himself, you know. Same, I same right. I might say about Shane McMahon was actually a pretty decent guy. Well. All things considered, so. But yeah, well, him and Jim Brunzel were, of course, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, high flyers, and um, you know, uh, I think you know, like anybody else would, you know, they they expect you know Greg to be, you know what I'm saying? Like you say, you can't compare him and his dad. It's just it's two different people, two different time periods. Uh, oh yeah, it wasn't you know. easy. I, I, I used no. to hear a lot of people criticizing him just because they say he was. Too skinny, or he was Vern's being pushed because he was only because he was Vern's yeah. kid and all like that. But I ran into him different uh, occasions. He always seemed like a pretty decent guy. You know, I never found him to be too uh, full of himself or anything like that. He seemed like a pretty decent guy. So, has he has he got any involvement whatsoever in wrestling anymore? Or is he just pretty much? Uh, a fan or just out of it these days? Yeah, last days. I talked to him, uh, he wasn't wasn't doing too much uh, uh, with wrestling. I have to talk to uh, Mick Karch and uh, see if he's talking Excuse to me, hello? anything uh, lately. Yeah, yeah, if you can hello, say hi to him for me, uh, if you see him, I, sure I uh, always thought Excuse him to be a good guy. Yeah. Bruce, hi, this is Michael again. We are going to have a brief couple-minute pause. Bob Johnson is going to join back in in the studio, and he will take over as the host for the remainder of this show. But there will be okay, a couple minutes uh, dead air for a moment, and then he's going to call in and take over as the host for the second hour of the show. So we just uh, hang in here right now. Yes, it'll be about a two-minute delay. You'll hear it'll be just dead air for about a minute or so. So to all the listeners okay. out there, we will be returning with the second hour of Heartbeat Radio. Thank you for joining us. This is Michael McCurdy with IHWE Radio, Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. It was a pleasure for me to be on here to help you host this show tonight. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, Bruce, are you there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can still. Okay, I guess we can. We can still communicate. Brent, are you on the line? Hello. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Bruce. I guess it's just me and you, huh? Yeah. Did uh, Trevor? Did Trevor ever get on? Yeah, it's going better than I expected. So. I'm not. I'm not sure about all the technology here, but but okay. I have no idea why there's a need to have a two-minute delay. I can't just jump right in there, but I, I don't know how that works. But. So, so Bruce, I was going to ask you now: Are you? Uh, do you live at, at your dad's place uh, that he had, or, or no? No, the, that that was sold uh, after my dad passed. You know, I, oh, I um, okay. Unfortunately, too much uh, acrimony in the family has sometimes happens. You know, but um, but yeah, that was where the dungeon and all the uh, mm-hmm. right. 
you know, kind of emanated from initially, you know, but, uh, but yeah, um, most, most of the uh, Heart Mafia is in Calgary here, including Brett. Um, most of the, most of them are up here now, so. Are, are you going to make it out to uh, Cauliflower Alley Club? Uh, uh, I might, you know, I, I, I was, uh, sort of ostracized about 10 years ago I spoke down there and just sort of was alluding to the uh, state of the business at the time and mm-hmm. old uh, Fred Carl uh, Lauer kind of mm-hmm. was uh, denouncing me for you know being pretty straight up about Vince uh, and some of the other things that I've was candid about so I haven't been back since but I might you know I might uh, see how it goes you know I'm told that my old friend Brian Blair is now the, uh, yeah, the president Brian. or something so yep I might yep. I might you know I uh, I might endeavor to get down there next time you know and uh, you know it's one thing I did like about it is there was a lot of uh people such as yourself and just guys who uh you know had been you know kind of you know legitimate players back in the day you know like last time I was down there like guys like Luthes and uh Stu and Angelo Savoldi and old uh, Gene LaBelle and some of them you know Red so Bass, yeah, Red Bass yeah. yeah it was kind of nice to uh just see guys like that and that that was the nice part for me was just sharing perspectives and memories and hearing straight up stories from some of those the Colonel De Beers and <laughs> yeah, Harley and Terry Funk and right. guys like that, you know. Right. I'm um, actually you know what, I'm actually about uh two and a half hours from Harley's uh place in Eldon. because um, 'cause I'm I'm from Chicago originally, but I I'm right now I'm about ten minutes outside of St. Louis, um, on the Illinois. Harley's still out in the, in the Kansas City area. Uh, yeah, he's actually in Eldon, Missouri, which is just outside of the Ozarks. How's his uh, health these days? I heard he had a few uh, issues. You know what? I believe he had uh, hip surgery done, and uh, he's he's doing better now. But uh, you know, uh, he was kind of doing the bent over walk. You know, uh, his hips were bothering him. You know, but uh, he's running his. His camps there. He's got the Noah camp, and uh, uh, you know, doing doing all right. And yeah, if you see old uh, Harley, give him give him our love. You I know. will. And, and you know who I'm going to call uh, tomorrow? Uh, you know Jody Hamilton. Oh yeah, the, the assassin. Yeah. The assassin. Right. Yeah, I, I got to give him a call. He emails me, and I I, I got to give him a call and just see what uh, how he's doing. But uh, I'm going yeah, to talk to him. Uh, and, yeah. I know it's kind of. Uh, it meant a lot. I know after my mother passed away, uh, it was kind of a touching, but a very nice thing on Harley's part. But he uh, he flew up to Calgary uh, and spent about a month just hanging with my dad <laughs> up, up at the house, yeah. just trying to help fill the gap. But I, I thought it was a pretty... Uh, yeah, said a lot about what a good guy he was, you know, old Harley. Yeah. So, but yeah, give give old the king my uh, my best, you know. 
Bob, he's uh, right. one of the great characters. Are you on there, Bob? Hello, Bruce. Yeah, uh, yeah. But looks like we're going to be on for another hour. We, uh, I'm going to be your host for the next hour, so you guys keep talking, and I'm going to get I'm a couple of... talking about our uh, mutual friend, the... Uh, you know the king, King Harley. You know. <laughs> yeah. So you guys just keep keep talking. I've got a couple other guys calling in shortly, and uh, I'm going to try to get Merv Unger back here. So uh, we got yeah. for another hour. So so you guys yeah. just hey, Bob, uh, is, uh, Trevor. Did Trevor ever call in? Yeah, he's uh, he called. I gave him the wrong number by mistake, but he's going to be calling in. I sent him a message here. So uh, and Brent's going to be calling in shortly as well. Now that I know how to do the board. I'll have uh, your son on there shortly. Okay. Yeah, he, he was on a little earlier and then uh, kind of phased away. Where's uh, Brent these days? Is he uh... between Chicago market and, and and then comes down here to St. Louis and you know I think his heart's really starting to go towards uh, Las Vegas. Uh, he loves to work in Las Vegas though, so uh, you know and wrestle out there. So you know. I mean, he goes where he's got to go, but I think he's really getting tired of the cold weather and snow. So, <laughs> what's happening with the uh, enigmatic uh, yet resolute Billy Corgan? I, uh, I got to know him a little bit in Phoenix when we were at WrestleMania a few years I, you back. Know, I haven't and, seen uh, him for two years. I saw him uh, in Vegas at the CAC, and uh, he lives. You know, he was on the north side of Chicago. And uh, we we didn't end up, you know, hooking up. He just told me, he said, hey, we got to get together. You know, we're right down the road. I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, it was just one of them, you know, we just yeah, kept, I don't, got together. I don't, uh, I don't read the uh, dirt sheets and uh, I'm not really big on going online and all that other, so I don't even pick up on all this, you know, the gossip and the scuttlebutt and crap. But, um yeah, I, I've heard for quite a while that he was supposed to be uh, lending himself to starting something up in Chicago where he was hooked up with right, yeah, he had TV. A and right. I never knew whether it was bullshit or fact or fiction. No, he was, he was, no, he was trying to put, put some things together. Uh, Brent could probably uh, enlighten me on that uh, more than I could. But, uh, he seemed like a fan. I... I Seems all right. I can't claim to know him that well. You know, he seems all right when I saw him down in Phoenix at WrestleMania a few years back. And oddly enough, I didn't know who the hell he was. You know, I chatted with him for about an hour. I thought he was a, a fan or a mark. <laughs> so he said he's leader of Smashing Pumpkins. And I, I had to actually say who are the Smashing Pumpkins. So I didn't even know who the hell they were either, you know. But. As soon as you call in, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get you right How's on. that, Bob? Okay. Thanks. Okay. You on there, Bob? Yeah, I got uh, Merb. Uh, Unger is going to be calling in shortly to uh, share some perspectives and a couple other guys. So uh, okay. I'll have Merb call you sh- shortly or okay. get on the air yeah. shortly, I guess. You guys just so, keep it keep it going, and I'm gonna get Brent on there and Trevor. Hopefully, will call. Yeah, who was Billy Corgan even using for talent, or did he even have any shows, or was it just sort of speculative uh, 
conjecture or what. I never knew whether he even had a show or. You know what? Uh, like I say, when Brent gets back on, let him. Uh, let's see if he can tell you because he was on that north doing the north side thing there for a while. Um, like I said, I last time I saw Corbin was two years ago at CAC, and uh, that was it on that. Um, I'm just trying to. Okay. Have you, yeah, uh, have you I, talked to Paul Vachon lately, or what's that? Have you talked to Paul Vachon? I haven't. Um, oddly enough, uh, Bob Johnson told me he might be coming on the show. Uh, I don't think tonight, but in the next week or two, I was told that there was some kind of a. A Minneapolis type uh, show, you know. Uh, he had yeah, well, that's Bob. Bob again. Uh, we're planning to have uh, Butcher Vishon on on the uh, 14th with our French Canadian Connection show. So hopefully oh, he'll be on. Uh, I've got Merv Merv Albert uh, Merv Albert Merv Unger is on the line. I'd like to have him uh, get him on the line. He's got a few words to say. Sure, I'll put him on right now. Some Chicago stories and whatever else. Earlier, and then we got disconnected in between, but I'm happy to rejoin. Yeah, good to hear from you, Merv. We've just been uh, kind of reminiscing about the uh, Chicago uh, glory days, you know, back in the Fred Kohler and then the uh, Vern and Bob Luce. And, uh, yeah. I actually those. remember seeing Bronco Nagurski wrestle in Winnipeg. That would have been in the 1950s. Yeah, he must have been in the latter anyway. stages of his oh, career then. But absolutely, yeah, he was. Yeah. How was old Bronco? I, I, uh, funny, I used to ask my dad because I was a football fan, you know, and he was a legendary uh, football player with the Bears and the Monsters of the Midway in the 30s, you know, with George Hallis and all like that. But funny, I was my dad, my thinking... dad could never tell me. He, he told me he was kind of a stiff old pro bar or something. But I well, know. I was thinking of George Gordienko when I was thinking of uh, Nagurski. Uh, somewhat uh, similar in build, first of all, you know, uh, close was, to the uh, ground, uh, as hulking. they say. Yeah. What, was he about 260, something like that? I would have thought about that size, yeah, at that time, uh, uh, that... Uh, he could, yeah, he, put the he would strap have been about back that. in the, the day. I think just to call, you know uh, take advantage of his football. He's uh, a pretty legendary yeah. football player, but yeah. I never knew yeah. whether he was a great worker or whether he was, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't recall that. I know, uh, uh, you know, when we talk about football players who worked, Angelo Mosca. Uh, was uh, really good at getting the crowds fired up when he was a heel. Oh, well, they seem to have a fair out of that Chicago area. They seem to have a, you know, in, in retrospect, some pretty major name football players like Leo Nomalini and Alex Karras, You know, who are both Hall of Famers. You know, and uh, yes, um, I think Wilbur Snyder and Kaniski were, of course, uh, they played up here in Edmonton. They were uh, Joe Blanchard were uh, pretty prominent football star turned wrestlers, and then a few that were 
marginal football players that became wrestling stars like Wayne Coleman, alias Billy Graham superstar and yeah. I think my dad you were probably up in in uh Calgary area around that time when Mosca and uh Coleman. Yes, absolutely. I was uh, Bob in Luke Saskatoon. And, uh, John Helton and yeah. those guys were. Uh, yeah, I all remember kind of, all of them. Yeah. yeah there seems to be quite, quite a quite a few football players getting into the into the wrestling business back in that era. Even old some yeah, of those old. I often uh, wondered whether Stu was hanging around the Calgary Stampeders <laughs> training sessions because I know that's where Superstar came from. Tried out with Calgary and uh, wound up in the in the dungeon. And, oh yeah, uh, I'm well, that's sure that the, uh, the the general manager of the Stampeders called him up and said he had this football player who was, uh, you know. Uh, having a few brushes with the law and was, you know, having trouble, uh, you know, uh, making curfews and was, you know, kind of a behavioral <laughs> problem. And, uh, and uh, at that time he was called Wayne Coleman, you know, and then uh, yeah. my dad had this old uh, down-on-his-luck old alcoholic drunk named Dr. Jerry Graham in the territory yeah. at that time and... Uh, Dr. Jerry uh, hooked up with uh, Wayne Coleman, and next thing you know, he had, uh, my dad said, kidnapped him, and he headed down for the States, changed his name to Billy Graham. Yeah, Yeah, and he changed his name. I'll see a second, I've got Trevor on here, and then you can join in. What's up, Bob? I forgot he was still on the air. Oh. I can call it sounds like he's talking in, on an open microphone. <laughs> it sounds like he's in an echo chamber or something like Twilight Zone or something like that. Yeah. Are you on there, Bob? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I had 2749 and you're 5497 or something. Exactly. Well, he was probably on the phone there. Yeah, nobody's, uh, nobody's told him he has an on and off switch. No, it's right on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, no, I remember when, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, Bob Luke was also from Arizona, where uh, Billy Graham was from. Yeah, and, was, uh, uh, and John Helton. Yeah, and Bob Luke's family uh, is one of the major uh, dairy uh, companies in uh, the southern states. And Bob came out of there as a football player, and, and he played for Calgary, and then later he played for, was it Winnipeg? Winnipeg. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and, and his brother played in, for the Green Bay Packers, Bill yeah. Luke or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was um, it's probably a good career move for him to get into. I, th- I think his family was in the dairy business. but Yeah, yeah. My, my dad thought Luke had all the potential to become a huge star and then he kind of uh he never never really did it more than an off season kind of uh yeah. you know yeah. supplemental income type thing. But he seemed like a good guy, old Bob though. I never found yeah. him to be a I, I oh, he was a real class gentleman, I remember that and I know when when, when he did quit 
Uh, I seem to recall that he had some problem in the family and that he had to go back and take over the family business. Uh, and that uh, that's what I seem to recall, but uh, I'm not Yeah, I saw him a few years back at my dad's funeral. He oh, was kind you. enough to uh, fly up here for the... Uh, mm-hmm for the occasion yeah yeah good guy old bob and uh you know uh they always speak kind of reverentially uh you know they always have a few wayne coleman stories you know he seems to be (laughs) you know kind of uh you know uh well regarded by them even though sort of like uh they always have stories of him being a bit of a con man and a bit of a (laughs) you know an operator. Well, he was uh, he was also a collector for the Las Vegas casinos when there were people who uh, started getting a little over uh, time on their debt. Uh, Billy would come and visit them, and that usually resulted in quick payment. Oh yeah, he's an intim- intimidating uh, looking big guy, old uh, Wayne or Billy, you know, and. Uh, a lot of people don't. I'm told that he was kind of one of the uh, major influences on Terry Bollea's kind of uh, development. You know, uh, Hulk Hogan to the yeah. fans who don't know Terry Bollea, but uh, I was told that uh, he he's like the world champion in AWA for a stretch there in the uh, yeah. 70s there and. And he was like one of the first, one of those kind of colorful uh, bodybuilder mouthpiece types, yep. you know. And uh, I think Hogan kind of, from what I've told, uh, emulated him quite a bit, you know. And, uh, you know, was kind of inspired by Superstar or Billy Graham or whatever, you know. But, but yeah. That, and, that is quite possible. And, and uh, that is also where... Jesse Ventura took a lot of his uh, uh, programming from was to follow in the superstar vein, uh, oh, especially yeah, when see. when the a superstar was uh, wrestling in New York, and that's when uh, I remember getting uh, Ventura uh, in Winnipeg when I was running Winnipeg, and right you know right out of uh, the Portland area where he had been wrestling, and uh, I know Vern uh, told him to switch into that type of a mode and try to be like Superstar, and then at the very, very beginning of the introduction of Superstar, they kept introducing him as the cousin of Superstar Graham. I remember back in, would have been 73 or somewhere in there, Coleman actually sent my dad pictures and was wanting my dad to break in. Jesse, who wasn't, his real name was George Janos or something like that. And he, Jim Janos. He was, he was uh, out of the, just coming out of the, uh, had been a Navy SEAL or something like that. Yep, and, yeah, he, he had, in he, Vietnam he had, for uh, some duties. He was kind of a bodybuilder, uh, muscle head type at that time. And I remember seeing the pictures of Jesse and, uh, my dad, my dad always seemed to be uh, a bit of a mark for the uh, bodybuilder of the muscle head types, you know. So oh yeah. He, he always, 
you know, brought in that type, you know, like later on the Kazmaiers and the Arcides and, uh, you know, but Billy Graham and uh, before that the Doug Hepburns and the Chuck Bruce's and, uh, and some of those guys, you know, yeah. Sailor Art Thomas, uh, all that yeah. type, you know, Roy Callender was up here in that. Uh, back in that era too, and but, but it was more in that era too that uh, you, uh, you know you looked like a wrestler. Uh, that I think was the idea that Stu was trying to get after. If you're going to be oh, yeah. in the business, you got to look like the man, not some big fat slob who uh, you know can hardly walk. And yeah, in the, some uh, the only uh, fat guy I recall doing really good business for us. Uh, he was more of a Anomaly was old Abby, you know, who was uh, by no means but a body type. Yeah, but he uh, no, but he looked. Uh, you know, could move. Yeah, and he uh, he looked kind of, you know, his uh, weight sort of suited his gimmick, I guess, you know, torque yeah. matter too, I guess, you know. But for the most yeah. part, yeah, I remember back in the day, it was it was tough to crack the roster if you weighed maybe under two twenty, you know, it was. Uh, Yep. My dad was sort of old-fashioned, and most of the NWA promoters, I guess, were back in the day. But and I guess Vern, too, you know, it's tough to uh, even get on the roster if you weighed anything under 220 or something, you know. He's but the only place Vern, yeah, Vern broke that rule when he brought Greg in. Uh, yeah. Greg was, I think, uh, if he'd had a damn good meal, he'd top of 170 and they kept selling him as 208 pounds and, yeah uh, yeah but, i remember uh, in those days uh nobody was billed even if they weighed <laughs> and, uh, another one who was kind yeah. of an undersized guy back in the day was piper you know and uh yeah he, he yeah no i started with roddy in winnipeg and uh yeah he uh he went he on was, those uh stereos <laughs> yeah he had to, uh, I think, get his launch down in L.A. when they had the junior. Yep. Like they had the, the uh, a lot of the Mexican guys were a bit lighter yeah. then, you know. And Roddy was yeah, down there for a, a, a yeah. stretch there, you know. But, well, he had yeah. his first big break in Los Angeles, Piper, when he took on uh, the senior Guerrero, and uh, oh, yeah, uh, they Guerrero. really did business on it, yeah. And uh, they did a really good business on it. And after that, nothing stopped Piper. And, uh, you know, he, he made his money or he made his career with his mouth. And that's oh, yeah. He was, what, uh, made him stand out. Yeah, even uh, especially, I would say, when he uh, got started with Vinny in the mid-'80s, his yep. mouth kind of you know, got him into that. But he hey, had that, there, uh, even when he started. I'm on here. I've got yeah. a, I don't mean to interject. I have a couple of other guys calling up in a couple of minutes. Oh. Trevor Blanchard from uh, Chicago. He'll be calling shortly. Okay. And uh, we have somebody from the 423, Chris Gilman. He'll be talking shortly. So sure. it's been a good, uh, really good show tonight so far. I'm, I'm really enjoying this, doing the board. Yeah, I'll just... Uh... Perspectives. I almost kind of intrigued here. We're kind of <laughs> covered everything from uh, 
Roddy Piper to uh, Frank Gosh and George Hackenschmidt. So we got some of the ladies we can cover. Yeah, very we got early wrestling bears that we can talk about. So, uh, oh, boy. Yeah. Hey, Murphy. Murphy, this is Bob Brooks from Chicago. Did you uh, – well, uh, we had Terrible Teddy, uh, the wrestling bear, uh, you know, in, yep. in Chicago. What was the, the, the bear that was up there uh, that you guys had that in Canada? That was the same one, Dave Cagney. Uh, Dave yeah, McKegney okay. was the guy who had the bear, and okay. he came along. And uh, I remember we, uh, out of the Calgary, out of Stampede, we had him do the the circuit a couple of times, and uh, he was wrestling Sweet Daddy Seeky, and okay. sold out in every place because <laughs> Seeky kept saying, "I ain't no bear." <laughs> well, you know, Louis, he bit Louis Martinez, uh, you know, got part of his finger. Uh, uh, well, you know, that was famous, supposed to be famous, uh, yeah, but, or infamous, however you want to call it. Yeah. But by the time he had him up in Calgary, I think the bear had no teeth left. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, my dad had that bear hibernating in the basement. McKegney left it for... <laughs> About two months, and uh, I remember we uh, took my brother Wayne and put him in the cage with a bear or something. And <laughs> Stu, Stu came down and kicked our asses and said, hey, leave the damn bear alone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, well, you know, Bruce, when we, when we get a chance here, though, we'll go over. I'd, I'd like to talk about some of the some of the great women matches that we had, though, in Chicago. Um, uh, there's some names that uh, maybe, Merv, if you remember, uh, uh, Shirley Strimple. Does that ring a bell? Oh, I remember yeah, the name Shirley Strimple. Was, uh, but she was clarity. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I, Who I was think they were married, girls, weren't they? I remember way the hell back, I remember Sam Meneker had this whole June Byers was his wife June at that Byers, time. right. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> I remember when I was real young, my dad had these two girls. They were up there for a couple of months training with Penny Banner and Lorraine Johnson, and they were up. And they they turned out to be pretty good workers. And then uh, I remember, uh, seemed later on, Mula seemed to uh, take charge of all the girls. You know, there was a little bit of a stretch there when Mildred Burke had a few of her own, but Mula was sort of the, uh, sh- sort of, uh... Yeah, like Godmother for, for women. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, it seems to be kind of, uh... I don't even know... I don't even consider whatever they have today is... I don't know whether it's wrestling or what the hell uh, they're called divas. You know, it's more of a opportunity to... <coughs> Propagate a little bit of show. opera, yeah, a little bit of yeah. DNA, uh, yeah. But uh, I've got uh, Bob again. I've got, oh. I've got Trevor Blanchard. Blanchard will be coming on uh, in a second, and uh, he might have some perspectives on the women wrestling in Chicago. I'll put him on right now. Trevor, are you on there now? 
Bob Johnson, how are you, my man? I haven't seen you since uh, Vegas in June for Cauliflower. How are you? I'm doing very well. We've got a, a cast of guys. Sure. You've got any questions about the lady wrestling in Chicago? Um, some of the some of the uh, some of the girls are really good. A lot of the girls uh, come in from out of state to wrestle in the Chicagoland area. But I'll let you know one thing. One of the girls that came through the school of POW and that's POWW Entertainment, uh, Melanie Cruz is actually currently over in in uh, Japan right now wrestling. So was... uh, that's kind of that's kind of a uh, you know feather in 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 our cap in regards to uh, you know having somebody from Chicago make that. Is the Jap- Japanese women wrestling still going stronger? I remember back in the day they used to come up to Calgary, Chagusa and Devil Masami and all that bunch, and they're pretty good workers. They didn't have much personality, but uh, I didn't know whether they were still going strong or not. Yeah, well, hey, hey, Trevor Blanchard, are you, are you there? Yes. yes. Trevor, Bob, Bob Brooks of Chicago, how are you? Good, brother. Good. I haven't seen you in like two or three years. Last time I saw you, you were laying face down at a table at one of the uh, nightclubs there in Vegas. Well, uh, you, you were you were starving me to death, and I was waiting for my meal, but, you know. <laughs> but uh, how you doing, brother? So, uh, but, hey, um, hey, Trev, you know, you know what? You were, you were talking about some of, the, some of the great women wrestlers, though. You know, uh, I'll tell you somebody that I thought should have gotten a, a whole lot more uh, airtime that didn't, and that was awesome on the Austin, you know. Um, yeah. She just kind of came in, was there with Sam DeSero, and then just, I mean, disappeared just as quickly. Well, unfortunately, she had um, uh, alcohol dependency, and that okay. was one of her downfalls, uh, unfortunately. But, um, uh, yeah, from, I, I'd met her several different times and saw her, got the opportunity to see her work, and, you know, if... if you know, she didn't have that demon, that that one demon with her. Um, she she might have been able to, you know, hook up with WWF at the time or WCW. Um, you know, they, uh, actually, there's a lot of girls that actually come in from, out, like I said, that's from out of state. Um, whenever Shimmer Wrestling, uh, it's the all women's uh, company that Dave Krasak runs in suburban Berwyn. He um. Uh, he brings the girls in from Japan uh, over for his shows, and they do two tapes. You know, they do two tapes a day on Saturday, and then the same thing on Sunday. And um, you know, uh, Hamada from TNA uh, usually is usually at those shows. Uh, Melissa Anderson, who's a CAC uh, uh, recipient award recipient. So um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of good talent as far as the women. You know. Aspect, uh, you know, and you got, Shimmer uh, went into the Canadian Maritimes this summer and did a couple of weeks of touring, hitting all the, uh, the towns and cities from Halifax to uh, New Brunswick and so on. And uh, I know one of the uh, uh, Shimmer, they took their yeah. whole crew into uh, the Maritimes. That, uh, Maritimes these days, Murph, is that? I don't know. I think they probably did it on their own. But I know they had one of the girls from Vancouver, one of the young up-and-comers who was really, I think, going yeah, to make a name for Yeah, I didn't even know they were still herself. running. I don't know if that was Dupre's yeah. kid or uh, they have... Uh... I don't think it was tied in with them. I think uh, Shimmer went in there on their own and had their own uh, 
total uh, own promotion from top to bottom. Because, used to be uh, a decent summer territory. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, back well, in the day, you know. had it. Yeah, and uh, the Cormiers had it. But yeah, uh, they had, by uh, all accounts, pretty decent uh, business back in yeah. uh, Shediac or Moncton or wherever yep. the hell they were running. I, yep. Yeah. I never did work that territory. I used to hear good things about it, though. So, well, that was a that was a great territory because uh, in summer, when uh, Stu uh, shut down for the summer, most of the boys would go and work in the Maritimes, uh, and then in fall it was back to Calgary, and oh, yeah, that way they could all keep them played. Back in those days, uh, every, they're all. Brothers, uh, Emil, uh, I mean, not Emil, Leo and Bobby, Burke and Rudy Kay, you know. Rudy Kay and thought the Beast. All, you know, the Beast. And yeah. Everyone thought they were, they were all like yeah. mortal enemies. <laughs> they're all brothers, you know. But yeah. I remember hearing the stories. It was kind of intriguing. But that was a good little territory I heard for quite a while there. You know, I didn't, I'm glad to hear they might be reviving it a bit, you know. And I don't know who's who's running it or whatever but but that's where we got Joe LeDuc uh, for a while uh, and uh, he was uh, really right on top of the territory in those days but, uh, but when, we're, when we're talking about the women one of the uh, ones that uh, was really on top for a while was Velvet McIntyre and I know she's retired in the Vancouver area now I talk to her every yeah. once in a while yeah, she was, if I'm not mistaken, engaged to Mike Shaw or Bastion Booger or whatever at one that, time. That could have been. That could have been. I heard that, although I never, uh, yeah. she's, I remember her being up here for a stretch with, I think, Wendy Richter and Princess Victoria. Yep, and, uh, yep, yep, that was all and, one uh, troop. Maybe, uh, what's her face, Joyce Grable or something like that. I thought she was kind of the senior member of that but yeah. I'm told that Joyce will be on the radio with us in a few weeks we're having oh, a, a show just on on lady wrestling in particular so I'd be well uh, you know Bob Luce has wrestled you know as uh, Sharon Lass uh, Trevor you probably remember that uh, she uh, she wrestled as uh, Sharon Lass in Chicago for, for a few years and uh, of course you had Princess Jasmine uh, you know uh, Bunny Love uh, which you know, Paul Christie's uh, uh, manager. Uh, she wrestled in in the uh, Indianapolis area, and uh, you know, going back again, we could go back all the way to Mildred Burke if you want to. But uh, you know, we had we had some great women wrestling in in Chicago, and and uh, we mentioned Detroit earlier on. Uh, Heather Feather uh, was another. I one remember that, Heather uh, Feather. Yeah, I, I don't recall ever meeting her, but uh, she was, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, She's a pretty big girl, wasn't she, Heather Feather? <laughs> right, and you know, Merv, I don't know, maybe you can shed some light on this one. I, I mean, I, I even talked to uh, Eddie, uh, uh, the Sheik's son, and uh, uh, Captain Ed George there, and nobody seems to know whatever happened to her. And we've heard everything from she was driving a bus at the airport to she was working at a gas station. So I don't know, you know, uh, the, the, everybody, the last I heard, they said she was okay, and she was that's, that's the last they heard that she was working somewhere in Detroit, and um, just kind of disappeared. You know, another one. But yeah. Uh, yeah. For, 
I remember for years, uh, Vern never used women. I never knew uh, why, you know, well, later on. Well, they were not allowed. Yeah, they were not allowed in Winnipeg by the commission. Uh, that was number one. So they never did come into Canada. Why was that? Was that uh, there was some? It was indecent. Yeah, indecent. Indecent (laughs) to see women (laughs) fighting. But uh, 1971, when I came to Winnipeg, that's just about when they approved it. And I know uh, I was refereeing on the very first card that the women were allowed to come in, and of course. That was a sellout on its own right then and there because the newspapers had made so much to do about whether the uh, uh, commission would allow it. And when they finally did, of course, everybody wanted to go see what it was. So, Yeah, Illinois never did want to go with the uh, mixed tag, uh, you know, male-female. Uh, that just never did fail very well with the, uh, with the state of Illinois, even when it became Department of Professional regulation uh they were yeah. you know they were strict uh and now when i promoted shows uh like i say they they you know they didn't want to do chain matches uh the last chain match i remember and trevor if you can chime in on this one if you want to but i remember addison trail high school uh that's the last chain match that i recall uh that was with you know dick the bruiser against uh i think uh uh, Mulligan and Heenan, and uh, after that, the state did not want to approve them. Well, I uh, I guess I'm uh, the older I get, the more of a purist I become, and uh, you know, I I still like to see wrestling instead of uh, uh, you know the brutal stuff like that. Uh, and I remember one one card we had in Winnipeg when I was promoting, and. Uh, we had the Crusher and Nick Bockwinkle, and uh, uh, Nick uh, did the top of the ring post with his forehead and uh, did it the hard way, and he was really squirting uh, blood, and the fans turned don't on me. Crusher, eh? I don't know. Did you cut anybody off? Hello? Okay, roll call. Hello? Yeah, Motor Bob Brooks, I'm here. Yeah, I'm still here. I remember back in the day, the, you probably remember the tumor, but uh, I remember the commission here in Calgary and, and in Edmonton, if you actually fought on the floor, they would uh, threaten to stop the show, and they would legitimately uh, fine the wrestlers. So, Oh, yeah, we had that in Winnipeg, too. Jimmy Trifonov, who won uh, a medal at the 1936 Olympics, uh, for Canada was on the commission and he was totally a purist uh, and that was amateur wrestling and any two uh, wrestlers touching each other anywhere outside the ring that would be a suspension and, and they held to the suspension and when you look at especially uh, well, the Calgary Territory, you'd drive up to Edmonton, stay overnight, and then drive all the way to uh, Saskatoon, and then to Regina, and then back to Calgary. And if you were not able to wrestle in one of those towns, but you were on the road with the guys, that that was a real uh, burden on them. And, uh, and well, I know Angela Mosca got suspended for half a year in Saskatoon. The chief of police oh, yeah. was the commission then. 
I remember Bad News Helen, uh, he had a issue with the commission here in Calgary, a guy named Grayston, who was referee when you may have been Bertie there. Grayston, yeah. Yeah, and he became a bit of an asshole later on. But uh, for about six months, Bad News was like our top heel. And he, yeah. he was allowed to do interviews and stuff because he had the, the belt and all, but he, he wasn't allowed to wrestle in Calgary because uh, right. he had been fighting on the floor or some such thing. And, yeah. And it was a real... Uh, but I remember back in the day, that was, uh, you know, the commission had a lot more... Uh, I think that's one of the reasons I've been told that Vince McMahon kind of uh, chose to uh, disclose it was entertainment, not wrestling or whatever the hell. But uh, well, back, uh, back in the day, they had a was... lot they had a lot more we never power used than... to have the we never used to have the barriers around the outside of the ring you know five six feet back and no. uh, people would sit right up to ringside so if they got out they would get involved with the crowd too often and when the barriers were put up that became easier and and commissions then did sort of back off on the fighting outside the ring. But I remember many times uh, uh, when uh, when I was a referee, if anybody went outside, I immediately jumped outside to restrain the one who was outside so that there wouldn't be two people uh, contacting each other. And they were okay with that. But if they I made contact... Now, uh, in retrospect... Uh... I always thought it was a good idea that there was not much fighting on the floor because three quarters of the people couldn't see it anyway. You know, That's if you're right. on the floor, you know, uh, they can only yeah. see it on that side. And uh, yeah. Yeah. But these days, you know, you watch some of the WWE's nonsense and uh, drive oh, yeah, nuts. I see these and... guys out on the floor and the ramp and the. Uh, you know, if I'm a fan, I'm going, you know. Like, do your damn fighting in the ring, you know, like, oh, you know. Yeah. It, it drives me nuts to see them out, and uh, especially when they have these idiot stipulations where falls count anywhere. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Com- com- might as well garbage. not bother setting up a ring. Yeah, hey, may as well. Let, let me uh, ask you a question, and maybe uh, you could you could answer this one. Uh, there was a match, and I, I don't recall if it was Carl Engstrom against the Crusher, uh, it's, a, it's a YouTube video, and I'll, I'll have to try and find it uh, for you and let you know. But there was, uh, I think the Crusher kicked him, okay, um, and and the referee disqualified him, and the, the match was over. And it was like, a, I mean, whatever, you know, half a minute or a minute, in the, and, they, and they're looking at the referee like, what, you know, what are you stopping the match for? And, uh, I mean. No, I don't. I don't recall that. Unless it was a, you know, I'll uh, I'll, I'll try to. Yeah. Find it uh, while we're on the air here, but um, but yeah, you know it was, it was you know in uh, in Illinois, you know you could not use the toe; had to be the flat of the boot. But yeah. uh, you know, I and I understand that, but it's just you know um, you know, and the wrestlers, both of them, were just kind of like looking at him, like, "What are you, what are you doing? What do you mean you you know the match is over? You know, so unless there is some special reason for it or." Uh, you know, somebody was hurt or something, and they had to end it. Because, yeah, I remember back in the day, like the rules the rules were actually yeah. good for propagating your angles. Like, I don't know, yeah. in Calgary, uh, if you put a guy over the top rope, 
it was a DQ. So oh, yeah, same in the, quite yeah, often you have this thing where a guy would, you know, uh, take a swing at somebody and the guy would duck and he'd go over the top and then you'd... Yeah. It, and, and another one is if you ran a guy into the post or if a guy got run into the post, it was uh, an automatic DQ and quite often yeah. you'd have, you know, uh, some questionable thing where a guy got projected into the post and, you know, the face would get DQ'd. But it, it was... Uh, the, the fans understood it. It got good heat, you know. It was a good uh, kind yeah. of... Uh, but, and Vern yeah, Gagne brought in, uh, yeah, the no jumping off the top rope and the turnbuckles. And, oh, is that uh, right? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, that were uh, allowed uh, for angles where if uh, somebody's back was turned, I remember Ray Stevens came to, into the territory as bombs away Ray Stevens. That was yeah. always his finishing hold. Well... Ray would do that when uh, when the referee's back was turned. He'd do a quick up the corner and come down with his knee on his opponent. And, of course, he'd get great heat because he got away with it. Oh, yeah, well, you remember Ray, that, that was also with Dr. X, uh, Mervyn, there, too. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. He, the he broke one. Uh, Dr. X's leg in three places, and that's why yeah, they. Yeah. that was the reason for it, yeah. I remember yeah. back in those days they had the so-called blood rule in Calgary and Edmonton, and the guy was bleeding. The uh, the commission actually had the apparent uh, power to stop the match, you know. And, but I remember uh, in its own way it was easy uh, way to uh, get heat, you know, and yeah. uh, kind of uh, keep the fire burning, you know. But well, we yeah. had a very, very long series in Calgary with John Foti and Stan Stasiak, and I went for about five or six weeks in a row, and the night it was uh, considered to be the final one and the one that would end it all, uh, Foti started bleeding, and the commission had a genuine doctor at ringside. The doctor jumped in, said, oh, stop the match, and they did. So, of course, that resulted in another sellout for poor Stu. <laughs> yeah. I got a, I got a, Bob here. Uh, hi, this is Bob. I got a question. I got a caller coming coming in, Chris, and he has a question for Merv and uh, Bob about the great feud with the uh, Crusher versus uh, Mad Dog Vachon. I'll put, this is Chris calling from Tennessee. Are you on the air, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. I am, I am. Uh, gentlemen, good evening. Good evening. Merv, it's, uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you again. It's It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Bruce, yourself as well. Good speaking with you again. Yeah, likewise. Um, yeah, actually, uh, and I do believe this is actually Bob's uh, first official uh, show with us, so definitely welcome, Bob. Um as far as the uh, the, the crusher uh, angle, uh, what, what are your girls' uh, memories on that? Well, uh, I'm I'm trying to place the time period. I know when Crusher first became the fan favorite in uh, the Minneapolis territory, uh, Mad Dog Vachon was still uh, the Mad Dog, and. Uh, they went many, many, many times 
and had real fantastic battles between the two of them. And uh, it was never, never a surprise to see both of them covered in blood from head to toe. And they just went at it, and that was all there was to it. And Mad Dog used to use anything he could, whether he ripped at your mouth or ripped at your eyes. And uh, he he was, when it comes to the heels, he was definitely one of the best of all times. I would definitely say Brutal would have been a grotesque understatement. <laughs> Yeah, and and the thing is, uh, also in later time, uh, Mad Dog brought in his brother, and we had the Vachon brothers, and I know Crusher brought in... Uh, Bam, Bamowski. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was in the 1950s uh, when the Vachons weren't around yet, but he had uh, Stan... Losowski and they uh, they had their battles with the Kalmakoff brothers in those days. I remember one of them in the Winnipeg's old uh, auditorium. They wound up uh, outside when it was about 35 below zero, and they were ramming each other heads into a city transit bus in the snowbanks. <laughs> those were the days when when it really went and and the thing is it meant something not like the WWE now where they you know as Bruce mentioned all the, the falls count anywhere there were no falls this was the match had been thrown out already but they kept on going and uh, I, I remember the city raised a big stink about the very big dent that had been put into one of their transit buses <laughs> When did uh, Alec Turk, uh, he was around in those days, wasn't he, Merv? Yeah, hearing that name. Johnny, McAlp- yeah, Johnny McAlpine had been around before that, and then Alec Turk took over in the 1950s, and this is when uh, I first uh, got out of high school and started working at the newspaper in Winnipeg and covered the wrestling. And that's when Johnny, Alec I remember Turk the name Cy Sal- McAlpine, was that? Is he related, yeah, or is yeah. that the same guy? Or? That, that probably the same guy. And uh, I remember uh, my dad knew old Alec Turk from maybe yeah. when he was working. Stu told me he worked yeah. that uh, territory the odd time when I think Tony yeah. Stecker, you know, uh, yeah. some of those guys in Minneapolis. Yeah. But when did Alec Turk? Uh, he was sort of the front man for Vern or whatever. Uh, yeah, it turned out that way, and uh, the thing was, uh, Alec Turk uh, you know, had a heck of a, uh, a business going. He was a city councillor in Winnipeg at the time, while he was promoting wrestling, and he was a city councillor in charge of uh, the uh, welfare checks that were handed out by the city, and if <laughs> there was a card uh, on tap for the day before welfare check day, he would release the checks a day or two early. <laughs> That's, that's interesting. I never heard of any. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, he had it all worked out. The welfare checks are early this time, so you can go to the wrestling. I know my dad used to, uh, you know, the odd time we'd go to these uh, Indian reservations, and uh, yeah, you'd go I guess every two weeks day. there were. But uh, I remember the natives; they always used to call my dad these chiefs or whatever, and uh, they'd always tell my dad. 
one he was scheduling shows out there. Make sure you uh, schedule it uh, the day after they get their checks, because if you come yep. <laughs> between that period, they'll have blown it already by that time. Yeah, you know? yeah so absolutely, kind of... yeah. No, that was, you know, when, when we talk about the old days, uh, the, there were rogues all over the place, including the promoters. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, Merv, you know, one thing, you know, you, you were talking about the Crusher there, and, you know, uh, in, in Chicago, uh, and Bruce and I were talking about this in the first hour, uh, what I think hit home so well uh, with professional wrestling was the fact that they had blue-collar-related uh, wrestlers who could uh, relate to that stockyard district, who could relate to the working man, the Crusher, you know, being, you know, a bricklayer and the, uh, you know, and yeah. you, you have guys like Bull Bolinsky, you know, a truck driver. Yeah. and you I know, remember Bull uh, Bolinsky very well. Yeah, and, uh, you know, so Yukon Moose Cholak, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, all these guys that were just, you know, uh, the, the perfect fit for Chicago. Um, but that, that was uh, not Chicago only because Winnipeg is a carbon copy of Chicago and Minneapolis <laughs> In the Midwest is is the same thing. Milwaukee, Beer Town, you know, they're they're all, as you said, hardworking, have a couple of beers and then go home and enjoy yourself and go out for your entertainment. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm surprised that that Vince McMahon hasn't capitalized more on that, you know. uh, You know, I've... I would think that, you know, there would be a lot more uh, potential for having a few of those kind of working class hero types, you know, but I haven't seen anything he like did that. for a while, but, uh, yeah, and then it, uh, he just uh, went more for the glitz and glamour type uh, stuff. And bullshit, you know. The yeah, well. Tits and ass and the, uh, yeah. you know, the anything but wrestling stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, like I said, the, the Chicago market, uh, perfect for, you know, um, professional wrestling. And, yep. Uh, we, had, we had some greats, I'll tell you, uh, during during that time period. And, uh, you know, even, you know, uh, we talked a little earlier, too, about Mark Manson. And, uh, you know, he uh, managed Angelo Papo and Kenny Dillinger as the graduate. And, uh, you know, so you had this, you know, a, you know, a tag team that could relate to the young people, you know, and I thought that was that was always pretty good. You know, the chain gang, uh, you know, that that related to the uh, young younger people. So the, you were drawing in because when you look at at the matches uh, from the 40s and 50s, you know, where the men were wearing all suits and ties and everybody was just you know dressed and very stiff and just you know they just sat there, you know. Uh, I think that as we turn that time period again, as we turn into the later 60s and 70s, people, the young people were looking for something, and they got it, yep. you know, yep. with, uh, with wrestling. So. Do you but guys have any, was, uh, what are the indie promotions in uh, Chicago in that area like now, or do you have any ones that are successful or thriving? Well, Ring of Honors, uh, of course, there, and then uh, you've got uh, uh, there's some promotions in Springfield right now um, that are running, uh, and then what type, uh, what, I want what type of wrestling AWS do they running. have? 
like the biggest mistake I see with most of the indie promotions these days is they're all striving to be a half-assed copy of the WWE and you know most of the WWE stuff these days is for me a bunch of crap you know but uh or it goes the other way Bruce that's what I see in a lot of the the southern Illinois cards uh you get you see where they're drawing 10 or 20 people uh you know you got Johnny Nobody versus you know Billy Wish I Was you know it's yeah, like, and they're, why, why you know yeah and people are going why would I want to go spend my money when you can't tell the difference between the guys in the ring and the guys in the crowd and yeah, then there's no, they get done wrestling, they're all standing around, hanging outside, talking to the fans. You know, as and like you know, it's like no, nah, you just it's not it's not even you know it's it's not even a them and us or wow you know they're they're not uh, starstruck because it's they're not stars they're just they're just you know you see the guy next day he's pumping gas. Down well, the they look like uh, your next door neighbors dressed up in their play outfits, pretending to be you know it's not even. Uh, close to what wrestling used to be, but you'd figure that somebody would open their eyes and realize you got to set the bar a lot higher. But Well, Bruce, I don't want to pick on nobody, but let me, let me ask you, because you kind of sit on the line, I mean, you know, between yesteryear and, you know, and, and the more modern, you know, wrestling. Um, my take has always been, and I'm not trying to point a finger, but I'm just telling you my, this is just my opinion. When they brought in Lita, the Hardy Boys, uh, people like that, that's when things, to me, changed. The wrestling attire was gone. You know, uh, Merv, when you were a referee, you, if somebody was wearing a chain or a neck or on their neck or a ring or anything like that, they had to take that off. Oh, yeah. People were coming in with this oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I, t- I totally agree. I think it's nonsense. You know? uh, back in the old days, uh, about 95% of the uh, wrestlers just wore boots and tights. And, right. You know, the odd time you And they came some, into the ring with a long robe on. And, yeah. Uh, you know, the like odd the time old days of the An exception like Haystacks Calhoun or something like that. Yeah. But for the most part, it was uh, like even Andre the Giant just wore boots and tights. Or there was... Yep. And, yeah. Yeah. I find that to be uh, annoying when I see uh, nowadays the exception is the guy who actually just wears tights and boots. You know, nowadays almost everyone's wearing blue jeans or coveralls or track suits or, you know, right. bell bottoms or. Yeah, I, I don't even know what the point of that is. You know, it doesn't even uh, make any sense. It, it, but, uh, and those indie shows are even worse. You know, they, have almost everyone yeah. on those shows is wearing, uh, right. you know, uh, some old bell bottoms or baggy uh, balloon pants or something. You know, I don't well, know what the biggest. Saying, yeah, go ahead, brother. I'm sorry. The biggest problem I've seen with the Indies is uh, they try to copycat. They will try to create their own version of Edge or of Christian or of uh, even bring in their own Hulk Hogan. Uh, you know, who weighs about 165 pounds. Oh, yeah, and, and then, uh, invariably they're bringing in, they bring in a few washed-up old retread guys yeah. that Vince jobbed out and uh, and pay them uh, more than they should to come in and uh, sell Polaroid pictures. And, uh, yep. you know, <laughs> the whole thing's kind of an aberration in my humble estimation, you know. Yeah. 
No, that's if if there's but anything uh, that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, we got about four minutes left of the live stream, but uh, I'm going to continue this on for the archive. So uh, I'm just going to uh, <clears throat> go over next week's show real quick, and then uh, in about four minutes and 23 seconds from now, the show will go off live, but we will still continue the show for another, I don't know, half an hour or 20 minutes. You, Bob, do you, you still have uh, Barack Obama and uh, Vladimir Putin for next week's show? <laughs> oh, yeah. They're in the semi-wind-up. I, uh, anyway, yeah. I, here's, I'll give you guys a lineup for next week, and then uh, after that, we'll just keep continuing to go on, and, uh, and if... The, the fans can listen to the archive copy, which will come yeah, on we'll later. Yeah, we'll go on for more than and half an hour, though we could go on all night if we. That's right. Yeah, you can go on all night. You got to go on for you know whatever uh, whatever you like. Anybody wrap it like anyway. this phone bill here? Who's paying for this? <laughs> there we go. Is this a collect call, Merv? I really appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> sure got to down. <laughs> I appreciate you having uh, Bob Johnson on tonight as the uh, last-minute guest host for the second hour, and I want to thank uh, uh, my dear Johnson friend in Band-Aid. Eureka, California, uh, Michael McCurdy, for taking time to having us getting the show on for the first hour. And I want to thank all the guests on this evening, including uh, Bob and uh, Merv and uh, Trevor and uh, Chris and BBM and, and of course, Bruce. And uh, just to tell you, next week it's going to be a special three-hour show with the ladies of wrestling. And some of the people we're going to be having on that show will be uh, Diane Von Hoffman, uh, Joyce Grable, uh, Princess Victoria, uh, Kia Stevens, a.k.a. The Awesome Kong, Melissa Coates, uh, Kay Downs, and a few other gals are planning to call us up. So that's next week, the girls of wrestling, the ladies of wrestling. And we have two more minutes to go, and I'm going to welcome you guys to stay on, or you can uh, hang up, whatever you like to do, but we can go on for another half an hour or 20 minutes or whatever you like to do. So... Uh, to all the people listening, you've been listening for the live broadcast of Blog Talk Radio, Heartbeat Radio. Again, we're here every Sunday night, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we have some good shows coming up. Uh, two weeks from now, we have a show, The French-Canadian Connection. Uh, we'll be talking about wrestling in Montreal. How about we have a special show on the point. That should be a good one. Uh, <laughs> 90 seconds. Here we go. We've got 90 seconds left. Anyway, uh, I want to thank all the great people uh, who are listening to our shows. We like to get as many people to call in to Heartbeat Radio. You can call in at 760-888-5749 or go and uh, connect through uh, prowrestlingpowerhouseradio.com. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to just keep continu- continuing this show. Whoop. 60 seconds now, so i got 60 seconds to talk. Uh, I'm going to shut up right now because I'm mumbling a bit, and I'll let you guys continue on. 
Again, the uh, this will be on an archived copy, and the fans can listen to the archived copy. Yeah, just after I'll let, I'll let each of those guys just quickly sign off to the regular audience, and then uh, I'll do Okay, everybody. Thing. Yeah, if you got 35 seconds, you can sign off real quick, 10 seconds, and then we'll continue. Bob? Still on there? Bruce? Yeah, I'd just like yeah. to thank everyone for listening, and uh, I'll look forward to hearing uh next week with the uh, lady wrestlers. So thanks for uh, joining us tonight. Thank you. All the best. Bye. Okay. Now we are offline, but we're going to continue on the archive copy. So you guys, you you have the floor. You can uh, start things, Bob. What do you want to talk about, if anything? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I'm... uh, trying to do my best here and I've never done yeah, this before the, uh, whatever anyway you told me one time when I was uh, doing announcing back in Edmonton if you forget to say something just keep talking and say anything so that's what uh, Bruce Hart taught me about 1985 in the ring one night yeah, when I, I forgot somebody's name just keep talking anyway uh, Bob Piper, uh, are you I, still on yeah I remember meeting Roddy Bob, Piper Bob, Bob back Bruce, in are you still the on? Yeah, Bob, Bob Brooks is still here. Thank you. Bob, great. And uh, Merv, you're still on? Merv? It sounds like Merv. Merv, are you uh, still on the air? Like a battle royal, Merv <laughs> went over the top. He jumped over the top. And <laughs> He's he, over the did top. We, did we lose tra- I think we left, lost Trevor a little while ago. Yeah, tre- Trevor, I'm not sure what happened. He's... Uh, he's not here. He got eliminated first. <laughs> I remember in the Battle Royals, time. the guys used to deliberately jump over the top. So they're out. So, sounds like some of those guys wanted, have uh, Yeah, he wanted to jump. go home early. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he wanted to so, get uh, in we, the, got, uh, we got Chris Gilman. Chris, are you still I'm, on the air? I'm still, I'm still hanging in there. Well, uh, <laughs> you guys... Uh, What's happening, Doug? You were talking to see at my the friend? end of the show and keep... Sprint. This might Sprint's this might on. be the end of the show, Bob. I don't know. This is kind of like <laughs> you tell me. Anything? Uh, anything no, we can you go on. Want to, we can go on for uh, you guys were you guys were talking at the end of the show, and uh, if there's anything else uh, you'd like to relate, and or if maybe you can get a few comments, and we'll close this this thing off. Uh, Bob Brooks from Chicago, have you got a few comments to end the show? Well, I just want to say uh, I think Chicago. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have been a part of a very small part, but a small, you know, a part of Chicago's uh, pro wrestling scene uh, as I promoted in the late '80s. But uh, of course, with my show that I uh, had, and then I do my uh, my web page, Classic Professional Wrestling, uh, at uh, Blogspot.com. Go there. Uh, yeah, and, uh, I got a chance I, to check that out, Bob. I, I might. Yeah. I, I'd like to compliment you. The, uh, a good, Thanks. good web page. I, uh, I was quite interested and saw some good stuff on there. So, keep up yeah, the good work, you know, my friend. Thank you so much, and uh, just uh, it's a real pleasure to be on here with you. And of course, guys like Merv and everybody. Uh, you know, we've had uh, Cowboy Bob Kelly on here, and just so many of the great uh, waiting in the wings to uh, to come on this show. So, uh, you know, I just, like I say, I'm glad to be a part of the Chicago wrestling team and love talking Chicago pro wrestling. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed, to, you know. 
very much yeah. enjoyed hearing uh, some of the, uh, you know, stuff tonight because uh, I've been intrigued.